0: Welcome to the Life, Success, and Legacy podcast. We're super excited. We are taking on a worthwhile endeavor at Life, Success, and Legacy. Our intention is to honor Nelson Nash, the man, as well as the infinite banking concept. We're going to create a series of resources, including podcasts and text, as a resource for others who want to truly understand with depth and clarity what Nelson shared in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker as well as the many seminars and think tanks that we were fortunate to have attended during his life. So who is this intended audience? Well, we will use Nelson Nash's own words. It is written for the layman, not for financial advisors, but all life agents should be thoroughly knowledgeable of its content and practice. So whether you are an individual, part of a family, a business owner, or a life insurance agent, this is for you. So, sit back, relax, and we will walk you through becoming your own baker step by step so you can reference the parts you want to revisit at your own pace. And we might have a little fun along the way. Hey, we want to welcome you all back to uh, the next episode of the Life Success and Legacy podcast. My name is Chris Bay, part of the team here at Life Success and Legacy. And as you all know, Mike Everett, the founder of Life Success and Legacy,
1: good morning just
0: good morning mike everett how are you doing good good mike everett's coming off a fun weekend uh (laughs) with his son they got to get away and play some golf together some good father-son bonding and it sounds like they crushed it uh
1: at least well first round beginning Then the reality of the game set in. <laughs> Isn't that the beauty of the game, though? Yeah, I think everything mm-hmm. kind of works that way. Yeah, I mean, you look at a professional sports: one weekend and teams up, and one week next weekend they're down. Mm-hmm. So it, it 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 really works that way all the way along. So yeah, that's right. Hey, hey. It's
0: good to have you back in Lawrence, America. Yep, and uh, fun to be doing our podcast. And Mike Crawford, of course, behind the scenes making us making this whole thing operate. Uh, For our listeners, we are into the fifth section of Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker. So if you've got a copy of the book with you, we're actually to page 66, which is called The Retirement Trap. And as I was reviewing um, this chapter, there were three main points, I guess, that stand out to me. And um, my cat may have some different points, but um, the, the ones that stand out to me is one Nelson Nash has some strong passions and opinions. Mm -hmm. And I will say his opinions are well studied and read. If anyone reads his or looks at his reading list and, or has a conversation with him, he does not come to his opinions lightly. He has done his homework. Okay. One of the things that we encourage people to do is do your homework. Don't just swallow down somebody else's opinion. Do your homework. Come up with your own opinions and such. A couple of those that come out in this retirement trap chapter, um, one is he talks about, and it becomes very clear about his um, opinion on government-sponsored plans, and especially I think it applies in what we do on a daily basis, is um, deferred taxes, Yep. right? yep. The the other thing is he doesn't say it in this, but there is, for those of us who know Nelson and and his thoughts, there is a uh, a undercurrent all the way through here of Austrian economic philosophy. Mm -hmm. And so I encourage people, if you don't know what Austrian economics is, learn, go to the back of his book. He's got a ton of references there and learn what Austrian economics is all about. So one is the government-sponsored plans, and then the second key thing that he touches on uh, throughout this chapter is retirement, the whole concept of retirement. So we're going to jump into this. Um, And what I love about this is Mike Everett has listened to Nelson Nash, got to listen to Nelson Nash, and hear him go off. <laughs> even that further, is perfect. Yeah. Even further than what we capture here in the book, but even further. And I remember when we hosted Nelson and Lawrence, and I had a lot of hesitations because in the in, in Kansas, Lawrence, I believe, is one of two blue counties, if you think politically, right? Yep. So some of there's probably not a lot of Austrian uh economists in Lawrence America.
1: Right? No. No. <laughs>
0: So when Nelson came, I had some hesitations about that. And every, I think you just kept telling me, ah, it'll be okay.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, and it was, though, by the way, um, people loved getting a chance to meet Nelson and hear his thoughts and opinions and learn about infinite banking. So... Nelson starts off this chapter, um, he's talking about, um, he had a thought that he'd been working around in his mind, and he finally in 1976 put it down on paper, it was actually on his birthday, and he wrote it and and stuck it in a personal file, here's the quote, social security will fall, as have all socialist programs since time began, before it falls, they will attempt to prop it up. Mm -hmm the source of funds that they will use is the reserves of private pension plans and other government sanctioned plan, uh, schemes, okay? Mm. And, and he goes on to make a reference to the Soviet Union and how people were surprised. And yet he said, no, it, it wasn't a quick failure. It was actually doomed from the start because yep. it was based on an, um, from a faulty premise that the government knows how to order the lives of people better than do the people themselves. So I'm going to pause there. Mm. Mike, you got to listen to Nelson uh, I many did. times, many, many times. And he had some strong thoughts, opinions, and had done his homework. Can you just kind of talk a little bit about who Nelson was, how he came to his beliefs, and what you experienced from Nelson as you learned and listened from him? him? Well,
1: so it took me, you know, it, whenever you're learning something new, it takes a little bit of a time to make a shift in your brain. Sometimes people can't make the shift and we understand that. But the more I listened, the more I studied, the more I learned, the more I thought, Nelson really had the core themes and some of the core thought processes of really what's going going, um, well, what's really happening today? You know, this la- one of the last sentences, before it falls, they will attempt to prop it up. Well, this was in '76 that he wrote this. It's now 2021. And is that a true statement? Yeah, it's, it's a it's a true statement. And then the source of the funds that they will use in its reserves of private pension plans and other government sanction schemes. They're talking about this right now. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, and Nelson, you know, I'll be honest. He didn't spend a lot of time on the retirement trap other than the fact that you know, his, uh, uh, this may be a bad word, but his knee-jerk reaction was against all government sanctioned plans. All. Yeah. yeah. Not, yeah, not part of them, but. Uh, he's a
0: purist. When, when he gets his mind set on something and he's done his research, he's oh a my. purist throughout. For example, I'll give an example with our clients. People will ask sometimes, so do you not use banks at all?
1: Right. They everybody asks
0: that right, and and we're like no, we use banks. If you're a purist, Nelson would prefer not to use banks. Period. Right. right. But specifically, he's speaking about don't use banks for for their cash for loans those for banking purposes. Right, right. That is the purist. Now, the whole spectrum, we have clients who utilize and leverage bank loans for real estate investments, et cetera. Yeah. You know? but, but keep in mind, Nelson is a purist. He has strong convictions um, throughout his philosophy. Okay, <laughs> Mike's like, there's a pause.
1: No, that's good, that's good.
0: So this, um, this whole idea where I think, it, at least in my mind, where it makes that connection is down in the next chapter or the next paragraph, He's talking about, um, you know, a, a hypothetical situation. He said, you know, if, if the government would, would remind you, and he uses a doctor as an example. That's right. That $10,000 that you put into your pension plan last year was not your money, and you know it. We admit that 5000 of it was yours, but the other 5000 was simply taxes that you were going to have to pay in the future. We simply deferred your taxation. This is something that we talk about all the time. When all we talk long. about, um, you tech- know, Mike, in our in our web webinars and our yep. boot camps, we talk about it all the time. How, do, how give us an example? How do we talk about that that deferred taxes?
1: Well, so you know, our, our thought process is we got taught, and, and we we all have done this, by the way. We got taught to go ahead and and start in our employer's four hundred one k or four hundred three b and put our money into one of these retirement plans, tax deferred. So you get to you don't have to pay taxes on the money going in here. And, and if you're just thinking on the surface, that sounds absolutely perfect because when you put this thing in this thing and don't have to pay taxes on this, it's probably gonna grow a little bit. And let's assume it's gonna grow, but it's not guaranteed. So the questions that we always ask is, Uh, are taxes going to go up or down? Now, I I let people answer that for themselves, but most people know the answer to that question. Uh, Number two, the money that you have right now, is it worth more today or is it worth more tomorrow? Well, think about what the government is doing in creating money from the Federal Reserve. They are printing money out of thin air, and when you print money. What happens to the value of the dollar? It goes down. I mean, there's just no inflation. That's exactly right. And number three, when thinking about income taxes, do you want to pay on the little amount or you want to pay on the big amount? Well, I want to pay as little as I can. So back to the pension plan and to the retirement plans, we're putting all this money in pre-tax and it's supposed to grow. Let's just assume that it's growing. Most of the growth is from what you are contributing, by the way. But then 30 years from now, 35 years from now, you pull that money out. In fact, the government says at one point in time, we're going to make you pull it out.
0: Or we're going to tax it 50% at 70 70 and a half years.
1: That's right. So um, you start pulling that money out. And what's happened to taxes? Well, they've gone up and what's happened to the value of the dollar, it's gone down. And so I know this is probably a little bit aggressive, but those are worthless dollars. Because if you could have used those in today's world and today's market, you could have gotten so much more out of creating your own plan. So I'm going to go back to the end of this thing. This thing was doomed from failure to to failure from the start because it was operating on a faulty premise that the government knows how to order the lives of the people better than do the people themselves. Mm -hmm. So when we're teaching infinite banking, we're teaching people how to control, how to utilize their own dollars and be able to create their own system. And literally, we're not sidestepping the government. We're utilizing a plan that was created years and years and years, decades before the government started not only the income tax law, but then created all of these government sponsored plans. Right. That's big, that's big picture right there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. Uh, And you, you can feel if you know about Austrian economics you can feel that undertone as as Nelson's talking about this you know when he says the faulty premises that government knows how to order the lives of people better than do the the people themselves that is a hundred percent Austrian right it uh,
1: it is it is
0: yeah okay so um we get we talked about the pension plans and so forth which
1: How many pension plans are out there anymore? There's not very many.
0: No, I mean, there was the old,
1: yeah, the old pension plans were employer sponsored and employer controlled, and they were responsible. They were responsible for how this thing was managed and functioned. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden, um, the government stepped in. And I think this was uh, in conjunction with how some of the large, large employers in the United States were uh, feeling the the pressure to be able to make these things perform year after year after year. And they said, hey, hold on, we should slightly change the way this is happening. They changed the name of the pension plan and they created the 401k plan. And what they did was they dumped all of the responsibility on the individual themselves. Mm -hmm. So now the individual was responsible for uh, controlling and manipulating how the investment structure inside these things work. Now, think about this guy. A, a, a doctor goes to work. He, he is practicing medicine. Is he going to take some time and learn, learn about his 401k? No. He's got a family. He's got a big house. He's got medical stuff. A dentist, same thing. How about a factory worker? A factory worker going in and working eight hours, 10 hours a day, is this guy even interested in how this thing functions? So as the market goes up and down, up and down, I'm gonna tell you what, people are wondering why these things don't work. And I always say this, go find 65 to 75 year old guys right now and find out what they think about their 401k plans. hmm in fact, you probably just have to go down to Walmart and talk to one of the greeters down there because he'd be able to tell you how he feels about it pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Well, for me, um, you know, if I go back to my days in education, right. as a school principal, which I was during 2007, 2008, when we had that crash, and we had teachers who were ready to retire. Yep. And they had been dumping money into their 403Bs for their career and they'd been teaching for 30 plus years, right? Well, all of a sudden, the market crashed. Oh, man. Now, I've brought that up before, but I've never said it this way. What if the market hadn't crashed, but instead the government decided to access the taxable portion of their 403B at that point? Mm. Again, decreasing balance, right? That's right. And and essentially that's what they're doing is that they would just simply be accessing the tax dollars before you actually liquidated the dollars for you. Mm. And I don't know that to me it's about control. It is. It, it is about control and flexibility. And what Nelson presents to us with IBC is a solution to those things. It's an alternative for people to it consider. Is. Yep. Okay. Um Let's jump ahead here. Uh, I am in the second column <laughs> in the second full paragraph to one of Nelson's favorite quotes. <laughs> Mike Everett, would you like to read that quote?
1: I would. <laughs> when, uh, when a government creates a problem and read about onerous taxation and then turns around and creates an exception to the problem that they created, read about tax sheltered retirement plans, etc, Aren't you just a little bit suspicious that you are being manipulated? Um, I was probably a year and a half into my IBC career when all of that hit my head. And, and, you know, once again, we talk about the ruts in our brains after we've been taught a certain way to think about certain things 401ks, 403bs, and the like, even IRAs and mutual funds. Um, we're going, these people have been doing this for a really long time. It must be a good thing. But then when you start to get down into the weeds and you start to think about, wait a second, the government created these plans. And I've said this for years now, not only did they create the plans, but every once in a while, They changed the name of the plan for what reason? Because internally they're changing how it functions and works. Mm -hmm. So he says, then they turn around and create an exception to the problem that they created. Aren't we just a little bit suspicious? And I'm in full on suspicion right now. (laughs) Well, to me, it, it's a reminder,
0: um, and I think it was Nelson where I, where I heard this, but I, I can't remember for sure. But if you go back and you look at the actual tax code, the way it's written.
1: Yeah, all 7,000, 8,000 pages.
0: <laughs> here are the taxes portion of it. And then here are all the exceptions. Yes. And to me, just that simple visualization. Illustration, Yeah. That was like a, why? Did you not get it right the first time? No. <laughs> so it, it is interesting to, to me to learn and think about uh, some of these philosophies. Nelson uses a couple of paragraphs here. Basically, he is um, throwing socialism under the bus. Yeah. That's, that's basically what he's doing in those, those uh, couple of paragraphs. So now I'm jumping down to, and he says, he ends up here, he says, um, down through all of history, mankind has indulged in some pretty stupid ideas, yep. <laughs> not m- mincing words there. Nope. And it seems to take quite a number of years before one of them finally runs its course and collapses. Often it takes 70 or more years for reality to become apparent. Now he transitions to the concept of retirement. Yep. Okay. And, and he says, one that has the world in its grip at present is the idea of retirement or more precisely the pension idea. He says, if you read it in the Bible carefully, you will find no reference to, and he's joking here facetiously, he says, and so Moses retired and lived happily ever after. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He says, I can find no reference to the concept throughout history until the time of Bismarck in Germany, the 1890s. So this whole concept of retirement, it's hard to have a conversation with someone. It is. And not have the concept or the word retirement come up in the conversation, well, especially even if, in the work that we do.
1: Yeah, well, even if you think about, you know, where we are in history right now, the 1890s is really not that long ago. Mm-mm. And so, you know, families, people, they worked their entire life. I'll tell you, my my brother-in-law, I was just down in Hutchinson. Uh, and I was sitting there talking to my brother-in-law. and You know, I said, well, how old's your dad now? And he said, 92. Mm. And uh, he goes, I'm having a heck of a time telling him that, dad, I'm not going to let you get up in the quarter of a million dollar combine right now. <laughs> because what he does is he puts a ladder over here crawls up the ladder then he gets on the stair steps to get up into the to the cab but this guy 92 years old in fact we were talking about health and obviously with COVID and everything that's happening Mm -hmm. I said your dad had COVID didn't he he goes yeah Um, he goes but I'm going to tell you I can't remember a dozen times in my dad's life that he was sick Mm -hmm. now this is totally a sidebar but I said, is he a big vitamin taker? No. I said, does he take supplements at all? No. Does he, what's he he? said he drinks coffee in the morning, eats pretty decent. But he goes, I'll tell you what, when he thought he was getting sick, he would put rubbing alcohol all over his body. <laughs> and I thought, wow. <laughs> but Albert's 92 years old, and he's still kicking it. I mean, he's out mowing the yard every day. He's out right. taking care of his gardens. I'm going this guy knows stuff. So back to the whole idea of retirement, (laughs) because I think about him. um, It really leads down into the next paragraph. Mm -hmm. It says the whole idea was to get the older folks out of the workforce in order to make room for the younger folks, because there are not all that many jobs that are available. The idea of creativity was seemingly beyond their comprehension. Bill Gates And Sam Walton, would this would have boggled their minds. So you and I have actually talked about this at length. Mm -hmm. You know, after you've had somebody in a workforce or a place of employment for a number of years, the wisdom um, that they have gained, the experience that they have in a job is probably at a premium. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they get to, retirement age air quotes and we go see you later we got cheaper options yeah and so it becomes a a a cost mechanism for an employer but yet then you've got to go through all of this training you've got to go through all of this craziness that an employer goes through and you've taken your most valuable asset an older wiser more experienced and you always call him a sage yep and he has so much to give to that younger generation Mm -hmm. but yet i think so many people don't see it because there's dollar signs uh alongside all of that
0: i'll give you a, a personal experience of that so i was hired as a as a school principal at the age of 30 Do you think I was a, do you think I was a cheaper option? Probably. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the school district previously had a very, um, uh, respected, uh, superintendent Dan Nineswander. I remember Dan and, and Dan had to retire early because of loss of hearing. It was his choice, right? He just, he just couldn't. Um, hear in the settings you know of group settings he couldn't right. pick up words and things it just wasn't working anymore
1: it wasn't selective hearing though
0: <laughs> <laughs> I knew Dan <laughs> and what I think was really sharp on the part of Randy Weisman, who was the new superintendent is he went and talked to Dan into coming back to the school district and being a mentor Yeah. The principals. Yep. They hired him on the cheap. I'm sure, you know, Dan, Dan didn't care about the money. He just wanted to be involved. No. And they hired him and his role was to support and mentor school principals. And I got the opportunity as a young principal to latch on to his coattails. And man, I just listened. It wouldn't have done any good for me to talk anyway, because he couldn't hear me. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. Now but we going... used to
0: go. We used to go on um, trips and and do presentations, and he'd pick me up early in the morning in his pickup truck, and it was dark, so he could and he was driving, so he couldn't see my lips. So essentially, I just sat there and listened to him the whole time, you know.
1: Well, and you, you let's just correlate this back to Nelson. Um, this is exactly what I did when I used to go to Birmingham, or else. Then later on, as I became a a practitioner, I was able to call him at least once a month. And um, uh, literally, I would call him, I would ask a couple of questions, and then this is difficult for me, and then shut shut my mouth. And uh, I just think during those times, um, the things that he imparted to me grew me as an IBC practitioner to be able to stand firm when the tide was coming against me. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, um, Nelson talks a little bit about pensions in America, and he he talks about them uh, during World War II and how everything was frozen, and he was talking about like gas food, all these things, including wages, yeah. were frozen. And he said, under, under such an environment, how can you give someone a pay raise without giving a pay raise? Benefits. Yeah. So this was, the, this was the introduction of benefits. He says, this is the genesis of retirement plans and health insurance plans. This was also a function of the IRS code, which began in 1913. And then it just started to grow and grow and grow, et cetera. Um, and again, he comes back to the fact that it couldn't work; it was right. going to break down at some point. And interestingly enough, companies have sidestepped the pension plan now with the loophole of the four hundred one k being introduced and shifting that burden of responsibility to the individual rather yeah. than to the business. Now, there was a a, a gentleman in nineteen fifty. Paul Perot of the Foundation for Economic Education Fee, which was one of Nelson's favorite organizations. Yep, And he wrote a book called The Pension Idea, basically saying that it could never work, right? Right. Well, what I found interesting is um, the Nelson Nash Institute got permission to republish that, and they actually have it available for people. And he encourages all of us to read it and talk and, and learn about how pensions couldn't work. So for yeah. our listeners who want to get a little more education about that, uh, re- we recommend it. Just this week, I had um, a client who texted me and said, hey, I'm in a new position, and they're offering a 403B, <laughs> and they're matching my funds. Okay. And, and she asked, what is, what would you recommend? And I just said, and I do this oftentimes, I just share, what are our clients doing? I don't necessarily right. say, here's what you ought to do with your money. I just said, um, I would say that close to hundred percent of our clients choose not to participate in their company's retirement plan. If they have the option, That's even true. if it's matching, why is that, Mike? Why do you think that, that people choose not to participate?
1: Well, we go back to some of the basic principles that we've taught all along the way. With, with uh, you know, if you're putting this money aside, what are taxes going to do? What's the value of the dollar going to do? But then people get all amped up about the match. Well, the match is somewhere between, and and I'm going to give a little span, three and eight percent of your contribution. So the match is not a hundred percent match. So if you're putting five hundred bucks in, they're not putting. 500 bucks in a month for you right they're putting in 150 or less and so the match is just something and nelson talks about it you know in his thing benefits of course they're making it sound like it is a benefit for who for For you yeah it is not a benefit it is a benefit for the employer only because he's getting to deduct that matching amount, and you're going to have to pay taxes on it later. I guarantee you. So, um, you know, I always get I, I always get back to this: these pension plans, these retirement plans. As Nelson has said, they're going to self-destruct. Yeah. Or when you finally get an opportunity to get a hold of some of it, you're going to go man, I thought it was going to be so much more. And I actually feel that same way about, you know, the social security and the Medicare Mm -hmm. that is now available to me. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like it's, but those are also government sponsored options.
0: Yeah. It's interesting to me when I look at just a couple of examples of, of, efforts on the government to try to do some of the things that our, our society needs um, that have not necessarily been very successful. Right. Um, for example, if you go back and look historically at architecture and you look at government housing, government housing, which became slums, right? Yep, yep. It didn't work because the government didn't function, function well managing it. And so what happened is once they learned, oh, we're not good at housing, what we're gonna do is we're going to make an exception and we're going to encourage individuals to provide housing and we're gonna do that by giving them a tax benefit, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and you can see that in various ways. Another example, right? I mean, right now we're seeing um, our postal service um, really struggling
1: Really over struggling. the last several years, yeah. really
0: struggling. And yet, my goodness, I see UPS and FedEx uh, and Amazon up and down my street multiple times a day. Just all over the place. They're just taking on. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, not, there's issues with, with those corporations as well. Sure there are. Yeah. Recognize that. But the point Nelson's trying to make is government has not necessarily been good at creating these systems for people, that that is essentially Nelson's position. Well,
1: and, and you know, you're talking about Amazon and FedEx. These are private, these are privately held businesses. They are not sponsored by any kind of uh, government sponsorship. Yeah. So that, yeah, there's we, a
0: difference. Another example is farming. Some some of the best years for farmers is when they get that that crop insurance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Um, Nelson at the bottom of the first column on page 67, he says, furthermore, it appears to be an established fact that many people die shortly after they retire. Yeah, mankind seems to need a purpose in life.
1: We talk about that all the time.
0: All the time. Yeah, he gives two examples. One, um, and he referenced John Templeton, the creator of the Templeton Fund. Yeah, if you want to know more about that, go back to page 37 and read but essentially he was continuing to work and teach late into his life. Nelson talks about his mentor, Leonard Reed, uh, again, the Fee Institute. He was the founder of it um, back in 1946. He died at the age of 85. I love this. In his sleep, the night before the semi-annual meeting of the foundation, (laughs) he was going to work the next day. Yeah, And this is proven out, um, if people look at blue zones research where there are high preponderance, blue zones are are areas around the world. Um, There's uh, I think five of them at least. And they study these where these people are living to a hundred years or later, a higher preponderance of people are living to be a hundred years or later. And they're still out chopping wood and riding bikes and doing stuff, living full lives. So they studied these areas and they identified, and they're all very different, different diets, different climates, different religions, all these differences. But they looked for commonalities, and they found nine commonalities, and one of the key ones is purpose. These people have a reason to get up in the morning. They also have another factor, which I think ties in here. They call it the mother-in-law effect, but that is where generations live together
1: and support
0: each other. And they also don't discard the older generation and send them off to the... uh, to the retirement Old folks home. home yeah exactly i think there's some lessons there historically that we can learn from that nelson's bringing that to mind for us okay mike everett this uh edward deming yep. business consultant who went over to japan because no one would listen <laughs> to him in the united states what do you know about edward deming
1: oh i tell you everybody laughed at him in the america in the united states because they thought dude this stuff that you're spouting is no good. Well, then he went over to Japan and he started sharing this stuff with people over there. And they, they, they coined him as a hero. He, you talk about a sage. Yeah. This guy brought ideas. And what did the Japanese do? They implemented those ideas. And then he turned around and he came back to the United States and he was a hero. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I feel that same way about Nelson. You know, some of the stuff that he was starting to share with people in the 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s. People thought, what is wrong with you? But now, all of a sudden, when you start to look at some of the things that he shared with people, now these things are really coming to pass now. And this is what really has given me purpose to be able to share IBC at a very, very, I, I, I'm going to say deep level. I'm more of the kind of the surface guy, but the team uh, aspect that we have, we not only share great big picture, but we get inside the picture with them and we work with them. And so, um, you know, I'm going to go back to the whole retirement thing. You know, I think it was a year ago, you asked me, well, Mike, when are you thinking about retiring or kicking that out of test? Here? Yeah, and, and I <laughs> said, well, let's see. My mentor, Nelson Nash, died at age 87 and he was still working. So I still have 21 and a half years left. Yeah. If I die at age 87 and I got a funny feeling, you know, I didn't have all the plumbing of the heart that Nelson has had. He had four of those. Yeah and uh, I have been fortunate uh, health-wise, life-wise, and the whole shoot match, so um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see me shutting Mike, down. My
0: follow-up question to you, Mike, is, and this is to drive the point home, why don't you think about retiring?
1: I love what I do.
0: That's it. It's purpose, isn't it?
1: It is. In fact, if you go down here to the 14 points that ed deming talked about the number one the number one point and this is on the right hand column on Mm -hmm. page 67 in the book create create, see of purpose now that purpose can take on many different avenues you know um i I think about linda and i at, at at 65 plus right now we're painting our house And is that purpose? We got a lot of purpose right now. We got a lot of outside purpose we need to be. And so, you know, when we're done with this podcast uh, I'm putting on my paint and junk and I'm, I'm going outside. We are three quarters of the way done with the house, but yet we're active. And you talked about this earlier, you know, people who are riding bikes, who are taking walks, who are eating right, but we have, we have purpose. And then, you know, the other part of the time we're going to our, our kids and our grandkids events and, and stuff like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're, we're involved, we're busy. And I can't think of a time in my life where I've had more purpose, but more personal happiness and satisfaction at 65, almost 66 years old. And life is good. It is good really good and of course thing, go ahead and and what we've created yeah for life success and legacy with you and i and michael and and shelly and our associate agents what they have brought to the table what we are creating to be able to share with clients literally all over the country my goodness gracious
0: and that's part it, of what why we do the dream creation with our clients to create that shared purpose. If it's a couple, sometimes it's an individual, which that's a heck of a lot easier to do a dream conversation with an individual. You, you bring a husband and wife together, you might get some fireworks when you're trying a to create a little, little
1: different dynamic,
0: a little different dynamic. <laughs> but part of the reason we do that is to encourage people to dream and to help them generate or clarify or articulate Yep. What is their purpose? What is their shared purpose that they're trying to create? Once we know that it's easy to design their strategies.
1: It is. Yeah.
0: All right, Mike Everett, this was good. We probably went a little long on this one. I uh, didn't yeah. know where to cut it off. So uh, thanks to our listeners for hanging in there with us as we go through this. This is some pretty important stuff, more philosophical than nuts and bolts uh, from Nelson Nash for sure. And, and I'm just grateful that Mike Everett, you followed Nelson around and and listened and learned from him because then I got to listen and learn from you. So appreciate you, man. Thank you. All right, bro. All right. To our listeners, thank you for joining us. Check us out at Life Success and Legacy. And uh, you can get all the books and uh, other resources, learning kits, etc. Check out our webinars that we do just about every other Monday evening. Um, Either Mike Everett or Mike Crawford do our webinars. Those are live. And then we also offer both live and virtual boot camps. We do recommend that you do the webinar first. That's kind of a prerequisite because if, if you came to the boot camp without doing the webinar, it'd be like jumping into calculus and you don't know your math facts yet. Oh, boy. <laughs> so jump, jump, jump on one of our webinars and, and check us out. Until our next episode, thanks for joining us.